welcome to the Unfair Podcast. This is Mark Sobel, U.S. Chair OMFIF. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Gavin Gray, Natan Epstein, and Sana Nadim, three extraordinarily outstanding members of the IMF's top flight professional staff to discuss Ukraine's economy and IMF program. Gavin Gray is the IMF mission chief for Ukraine with years of wonderful and dedicated service and experience throughout the IMF, including in some of its most difficult positions. Natan Epstein is also a longtime IMF staffer, now the Deputy Mission Chief for Ukraine, as well as a former U.S. Treasury official in his previous life. Sana Nadim is also Deputy Mission Chief for Ukraine. Thanks for joining today. Thanks, Max. Good to be here. So let's start off with Ukraine's macro picture. The onset of the war caused a massive hit to Ukraine's growth. Inflation surged. Reserves and exchange rate fell. Though the war continues to exact a heavy toll on the Ukrainian people and economy, conditions have turned around remarkably and steadied. Could you tell us about that and where the economy now stands? Sure. Thanks, Mark, for having us. So on the economy, certainly we agree that the turnaround of the Ukrainian economy has been remarkable. But to fully understand this turnaround and the outlook ahead, it is important to first understand the degree to which Ukraine has been devastated by this war. Just a couple of statistics. For instance, about a quarter of the population of Ukraine were either forced to migrate out of the country or are internally displaced. A large portion of the capital stock has been destroyed, and the economy has contracted by close to a third uh, in 2022. And these are devastating statistics. Now, despite these challenging circumstances, the economy is growing. It is helped by skillful policymaking in response to the war, the large-scale international financial support, which, as you know, the IMF helped catalyze, and the resilience of the Ukrainian people despite the war. This last point is very important because we see it as, as an important catalyst to helping the economy adapt to the war environment. And there continues to be a well-functioning government that delivers vital services to household businesses across the country. And you can see it on the ground. Based on what we saw in our recent visit to Kiev back in early October, retail stores and restaurants are open, banks are fully operating, people are going to work, and companies and households are paying their taxes. Now, when it comes to growth figures, we have significantly upgraded our growth forecast for this year. We now see real GDP growth at 4.5%, growing at 4.5%. This is up from a range of 1% to 3%, which was our last forecast back in, in June during the first review. And growth is largely driven by domestic demand, the rebound in private consumption, investment, and government spending. And this is while sentiments among firms and household improvement. Now, it's important to note that the recovery is also supported by stabilizing labor market, where we do see net migrant outflows coming down in recent months. Another bright spot is inflation, which has decelerated rapidly this year. It peaked at 26% year on year at the end of 2022. It is now down to around 5.5% as of the latest reading in October. And this is a remarkable achievement. Of course, it is largely due to the lessening of supply uh, bottlenecks that resulted from the war and have been alleviated in large part because uh, of the adaptation of the economy to the war. 
It also has helped uh, that the National Bank of Ukraine, the NBU, prudently put in place tight uh, monetary policy during the first half of the year. Low inflation has been also important to stabilizing the FX market. As you know, Mark, the NBU recently exited the uh, exchange rate peg to the dollar that was put in place at the outset of the war. And lower inflation uh, has helped stabilize uh, FX uh, market, even while the central bank has moved to a more flexible managed uh, exchange rate regime. This also helped the National Bank cut interest rates over the last uh, five months by around nine percentage point to 16% uh, at the last MPC meeting. So this is all very positive development. And when we look ahead, the outlook for 24 is still strong. Uh, we do see growth in the range of 3 to 4%. So it's a softening outlook, but uh, still in an expansionary mode. And we do still see domestic demand as being the driver uh, for growth uh, next year. However, it is important to note, and we, we often say that the economic outlook for Ukraine is subject to exceptionally high uncertainty and risks to the recovery are exceedingly large. Just as an example, the decision by Russia over the summer to quit the Black Sea Grain Initiative and more recently the ongoing border track crossing stalemate between Ukraine and Poland are just some examples of the risks that are facing the Ukrainian economic recovery. Other risks are, of course, the deterioration in the security uh, situation. Of course, the war could last longer than, than anticipated, and any delays or shortfall in external financing or slippages, reversal in implementation of the reform uh, agenda, all this risk leading to worsening fiscal and external balances, but also ultimately to confidence and to growth more broadly. So in summary, I will say that we all have been heartened to see the adaptation of the economy to the to the war environment and the stronger than expected macroeconomic performance uh, over the past year. Still, we see a reasonable uh, growth outlook for next year. But again, the outlook and risks are subject to exceptionally high uncertainty. Thank you. Challenging environment you're working with. But one factor in the remarkable turnaround is that the IMF reached agreement with Ukraine in March 2023 on a roughly $15 billion four-year program. The program was understandably controversial, given that Ukraine was in a war and associated risks. Uh, we can turn to the financing issue later. That said, my sense is that you're interacting with talented and high-quality interlocutors, that they're performing well under the program, and that the program is on track. So what are the program's key planks? How do you assess program implementation? And is Ukraine demonstrating strong program ownership? It's a, it's a question I ask, having worked on Ukraine for many, many years, and uh, I think the answer is different this time. Indeed, yes. Thank you, Mark. So just backing up slightly, as with any... IMF supported program that the overall objective of this EFF is to sustain economic and financial stability, but while also advancing reforms to promote economic recovery. Of, of course, the particular challenge in this case, Ukraine right now, is how to do so in the circumstances of exceptionally high uncertainty prevailing since the start of the war. In, in practice, given the risks that this has required the authorities and the IMF to work together to mobilize financing, and commitments to restore debt sustainability on a forward-looking basis, which would, would hold not just in a baseline scenario, but also in a in a downside scenario. So that's that's how we've 
handled that particular issue. Also, in view of the circumstances, the program measures have needed to be very carefully sequenced. So in the first phase of the program, and that's this year and 2024, the focus has very much been on maintaining robust fiscal policy, including through steps to, to strengthen domestic revenues. Uh, secondly, sustaining steady disinflation, which Natan referred to a moment ago, and external stability, in, in particular by maintaining adequate foreign exchange reserves. And thirdly, by bolstering financial stability and safeguarding the independence of the central bank. I would also say that in this first phase, the authorities have also undertaken material foundational reforms to strengthen governance and anti-corruption frameworks, which we can come on to a bit later. So that's the first phase. Now, in the second phase, we envisage that the focus will shift to, to more ambitious structural reforms, to entrench stability, support the recovery, and, and help advance the eventual post-war reconstruction. And, and that would help enhance long-term growth, including in the context of Ukraine's aspiration to join the European Union. In, in that second phase, Ukraine will be expected to revert to pre-war policy frameworks, principally a flexible exchange rate and inflation targeting, while also undertaking deeper reforms to boost productivity and competitiveness. Also, in that second phase, we would expect fiscal policies would focus on critical structural reforms to, to anchor medium-term revenues through the implementation of a, a national revenue strategy, which will be launched in December along with efforts to strengthen public financial management and also public investment management reforms, which will be critical for post-war reconstruction. So that's broadly speaking the plan. In terms of implementation, it's been strong so far, and that's despite the uh, rigors of the war. So uh, the first review was completed in, in June. The second review has just been completed. The authorities have met all the quantitative performance criteria since the start of the program both end, uh, end April and end June measures. And, and at the second review, the authorities have met 11 of the 12 structural benchmarks, either on time or, or with a short delay. And the remaining benchmark has been reset for, for early next year. So this, this is an impressive performance, uh, even for a country which was not in the middle of the war. I would also highlight the National Bank's successful exit from the exchange rate peg in October, which shows their capacity to undertake reforms despite wartime conditions. So in summary, I mean, we, we see a pace of progress despite the war, which really is a testament to the strength of the program ownership on part of the authorities. Thank you. Well, that's really great news. Let's drill down a little bit on program financing, which you've alluded to. As you just said, the program is unusual for having a base and a downside case, with the financing for the latter being backed up by added G7 commitments. As I've discussed in other podcasts and blogs, on top of a constrained government doing what it can to mobilize domestic budgetary resources, foreign financing for Ukraine, and not just its military, but also for the budget to pay pensions, social soldier salaries, and maintain basic social functions, is absolutely essential to avoid pressures to print money to finance the war effort and cause corrosive inflation and exchange rate devaluations. So a few questions on financing. How is Ukraine doing on mobilizing domestic resources to complement committed external financing? Is it fair to assume that if committed financing doesn't materialize, this could adversely affect Ukraine's macro performance and the IMF program is now constructed? And what's the status of debt relief? Thanks, Mark. So the war has indeed put extreme pressure on Ukraine's public finances. The country is facing very large financing requirements to the order of $42 billion in 2024 from the economic and social costs of the war, specifically to maintain really the core functions of the state. 
Now, right now, there is little scope to cut on the expenditure side, with Ukraine adopting a very compressed budget for 2024 and really limiting it to essential expenditures and cutting sharply, say, on, on capital spending. So with these constraints, how does Ukraine meet these enormous financing needs? Now, the IMF program is playing a central role in supporting the reforms and in catalyzing financing on both the external and the domestic front, and in a mix that safeguards macro stability and sustainability. So first, on the external side, the program has catalyzed an external financing package of over $120 billion over a four-year period. And these commitments, um, as you mentioned, rise to about $140 billion in a downside scenario. Now, this financing package provides a reliable and predictable framework, which is needed if the Ukrainian authorities are able to plan and execute their budget amid all this uncertainty and render the essential services to society through the war and, and beyond. Now, it is absolutely critical that the financing committed by Ukraine's donors and partners is sustained and arrives in a timely manner. This is essential to maintaining macroeconomic stability and to avoid suboptimal policy decisions, such as socially difficult expenditure cuts or monetary financing of the budget. The latter could lead to high inflation or exchange rate depreciation and could really unwind the hard-won stabilization achieved under the program. Now, to your question, you know, really for the program, it is essential that, you know, the finance envisaged arrives at the pace and terms needed for the program, as this will continue catalyzing other financing, as well as maintain macro stability and ensure that the program is financed. Now, on the domestic side, the Ukrainian authorities need also to play their part in meeting their financing needs. This includes tapping the domestic bond market, where good progress has been made under the program and must continue. A second important element on the domestic side is raising revenues, including taxes, as the economy now begins to recover. Here, too, important progress has been made, including largely reverting to the pre-war tax system and more recently increasing taxes on bank profits and working toward restoring tax audits. As Gavin mentioned, a key priority will be launching the National Revenue Strategy planned for end December this year. This should help enhance Ukraine's tax system over the medium term um, and potentially raise revenues by about 3 to 4% of GDP. And finally, on debt relief, restoring debt sustainability is an important objective of this program, and debt relief would help preserve vital resources for the authorities to help meet their budget needs. Now, already, Ukraine's bilateral lenders have committed to a debt service standstill through the end of the program period, while its private creditors have agreed to such a standstill through August of next year. Now, the authorities have publicly stated their intention to complete commercial debt restructuring by mid-2024, and we expect that this commercial restructuring take place in the timeline envisioned and in line with the program macro framework and DSA, which will help definitively restore sustainability for Ukraine. Preserving this sustainability will also require seeking new borrowing, including that provided by Ukraine's partners and donors, on the most concessional terms possible, as well as delivering the revenue-based fiscal adjustment over the medium term. Thanks. And just to pick up again to underscore what you said, that the financing must be sustained and timely for macro stability. Absolutely. 
So uh, we keep hearing that banks are profitable and the financial sector is broadly stable. How do you explain this and how do you assess the health and prospects for the Ukrainian financial system? Uh, thanks, Mark. Yes, indeed, the financial system has held up uh, very well so far and remains uh, liquid, thanks mainly to extensive emergency measures introduced under martial law at the outset of the war. In addition, the MBU and commercial banks are proactively were very quick to implement uh, business continuity plans again when the war began, which helped the banking system uh, remain uh, operational. Indeed, the authorities have done an excellent job in maintaining financial stability and in building on the significant reforms uh, undertaken pre-war to clean up the banking system following the 2015-16 uh, banking crisis. In addition, and importantly, the digitalization of the Ukrainian banking system, which started even before the war, has been a particular source of pride for the Ukrainians and a source of economic strength. From the outset of the war, the largest banks fully migrated the IT system to the cloud, which helped the payment system function normally. And the MBU introduced what they refer to as power banking, uh, which has ensured continuous access to banking services while even while there are, there are power outages and long blackouts due to uh, missile attacks. So this certainly uh, I mean, stands out to us as, as an important input for, for sustaining the economic uh, activity. Overall, banks have weathered the war well, being well-capitalized, liquid, and highly provisioned. And as you said, Mark, uh, most of the banks are profitable. However, it's important to note that profitability of the banks is largely driven in an environment of high interest rates and deposit margins with very little lending activity taking place due to a high credit risk. Banks' asset quality remains uncertain uh, as long as a martial law forbearance uh, persists. So looking ahead, while the war is ongoing, we have advocated for the MBU to preserve financial stability and start planning for the post-war recovery, uh, which includes strengthening banking supervision and conducting an independent asset quality review. These plus strengthening uh, the governance of state-owned banks, which account for roughly half of uh, the uh, assets of the financial system, are key priorities uh, under the program. Looking further ahead, the financial sector will need to play an important role in supporting the post-war reconstruction phase, and therefore it will be important to properly assess and restore banks' health and reverse the deterioration in credit conditions. Indeed, the resumption of bank lending to the private sector and the overall revival of the credit channel in the economy, we believe will be critical to unlocking the upside growth potential of the Ukraine economy. Thank you. Well, thank you for that. So as somebody who started following Ukraine in the uh, early 90s after its independence, I can say that for the first decades of its existence, Ukraine was seen as oligarchic with extensive corruption. Uh, this was a hindrance to the state's development on also for foreign support for Ukraine. The IMF, to its enormous credit, especially under its 2015 program, undertook huge and path-breaking efforts to fight corruption. It didn't just seek to eliminate rent-seeking behavior, but it also tried to clean up the courts, restructure banks, and make them more transparent and compel public officials to disclose and post their assets 
So my sense is that the Zelensky government is well aware of this legacy, doing its utmost to tackle it, and that the carrot of EU membership is a key inducement to stick with the campaign to fight corruption. Is Ukraine making good progress in governance reforms and combating corruption and overcoming this legacy, in your view? So indeed, the the Ukrainian authorities have been engaged in a multi-year effort to build new institutions and strengthen the legal framework with the aim of combating corruption. And that effort remains essential today for three main reasons. First, it is needed to sustain the confidence of donors that are providing budget support now, as, as well as those likely to support reconstruction in the future in the context of EU accession, which you referred to. Second, it helps establish a level playing field for foreign companies that are considering investing in Ukraine, but also small local businesses that may not have political connections. And third, with the rigor of the war, public opinion has swung very strongly against any toleration of, of corruption. And, and so so I think you're you're right to assess that the, the political leadership is is well aware of the importance of this agenda and strongly committed to to delivering on it. What we've seen in the context of our work under the program is actually very significant achievements by by the authorities. And a new head of the National Anti-Corruption Bureau uh, was appointed in March. And in October, legislation was enacted to restore the obligation of public officials to submit asset declarations. And also the the definition of politically exposed persons, so-called PEPs, in the anti-money laundering legislation was brought into line with, with FATF standards. So the, these are these are important achievements. And in particular, the relaunch of asset declarations will give the anti-corruption institutions the the data sets they they need to to discharge their their duties. Looking forward, the the focus now is on legislation being considered by Parliament to enhance the autonomy of the specialized anti-corruption prosecutor's office, which is another key institution. We expect legislation to be enacted on this uh, in December. And then just more broadly, I would say the task of, of equipping the anti-corruption institutions with the resources they need to discharge their duties is going to require further re reforms, potentially legislative changes. And we see a very busy agenda on this, and the, the IMF will remain very strongly engaged in this area. Thank you. Great. Thank you. I know that fighting corruption is really key for uh, sustaining foreign support. Okay, well, Ukraine's going to face daunting reconstruction needs. I see estimates of 500 billion to a trillion, figures vastly larger than foreign governments will offer. Huge questions thus understandably arise about how reconstruction will be financed at the appropriate time. Many point to the private sector playing a key role. Official bilateral sources will also be critical, as will the multilateral development banks, such as World Bank. But what's the IMS role going to be? Thanks, Mark. Indeed, reconstruction will be an enormous effort. The cost of war-related damage to Ukraine, to housing, roads, school, now port infrastructure, and this increases every day the war continues. Over a third of the population has migrated abroad. The authorities have begun some recovery and repair, for instance, to power stations destroyed by missile and drone strikes. But there really so much more needs to be needs to be done. 
Now, financing this reconstruction will be a challenge. There are ultimately limits to how much the public sector will be able to finance. So private finance, such as through FDI, will need to play a critical part. The question then is how to attract such financing. Now, Ukraine has major upside potential once the war tapers off. However, realizing this potential will depend not only on the availability of financing, but also on the policy and reform choices that the country makes. As we discuss in our 2023 Article 4 consultation staff report, such reforms, which focus on reconstituting and raising capital and labor and eventually potential growth, such reforms, you know, when sustained, will be crucial in laying the foundations for sustained growth that will raise income levels for Ukrainians over the long run and will support Ukraine's aspirations for EU accession. So the IMF's role here is to ensure that these reforms that are needed to support reconstruction are in place. In fact, the groundwork for many of these reforms can begin now. As mentioned, the EFF program is designed in two phases, and many of the program benchmarks that we have in this initial phase, such as to strengthen fiscal frameworks and public investment management to increase transparency and strengthen governance and anti-corruption, these will be essential to help facilitate the future reconstruction phase. So decisive reforms could then, you know, stimulate the return of migrants over time, as well as the investment flows that are needed to set the economy on a sustainably stronger growth footing and help achieve the broader development goals that the country has. So our role really is to ensure that the program continues to adapt, both on the one hand to conditions on the ground to maintain macro stability, while on the other, keeping an eye on what is needed to secure a reconstruction phase that that helps Ukraine and its and its goals in the future. Thanks. Thanks, and of course, the IMF traditionally is a developer of financing uh, plans over the medium term, which will be another challenge in this regard. Well, uh, you guys have day jobs to get back to, so we should wrap up. I want to thank Gavin, Natan, and Sana for an outstanding and highly informative discussion. This conversation underscores again that not just military support, but economic support is so critical for the success of Ukraine's fight. So congratulations to you uh, for all of your great work uh, on the program with the Ukrainian authorities, and your efforts in completing the recent IMF board review for Ukraine. And I wish you guys a uh, happy holidays. Thank you very much, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Thank you for listening to the OMFIF podcast.